0: Everyone, Welcome back to the Football Outsiders Fantasy Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Spratt, a writer for Football Outsiders, part of the Edge Sports family. I'll have a lot of your required Giants and Danny Dimes talk coming up, but I'm going to go game by game to hit on all of my waiver wire advice for Week 4, and so let's start that by heading back to last Thursday night with the Titans at Jaguars. Derrick Henry outcarried Deion Lewis in this game 17-3, which continues the trend that we've seen at the start of the season, where Henry's getting almost all of the work in their backfield. I think Lewis is droppable in pretty much every-sized format. Delaney Walker, the tight end, had another nine targets. He's really the only Titans receiver that I think you can feel confident about. He's up close to 30% of the team's wide receiver and tight end targets, and no one else is even above 20% for the team. Adam Humphreys had nine targets on Thursday, um, but just all of these guys have basically split workloads. Corey Davis led the way with 74% of the offensive snaps. Humphreys had 68%, A.J. Brown 50%, and T.J. Sharp 49%. I just really don't want to start any of those guys except in the deepest of formats. For the Jaguars, Gardner Minshew had another pretty good day 20 of 30 for 204 yards and two touchdowns. Didn't really run a lot, but he's still up above uh, 2.2% more passes than expected complete, according to the next gen stats. And I've, I've seen several passes of his drop by some of his receivers. I feel really good about him. I think he's a very accurate passer and can be a good deeper league option for you, even if he doesn't run very much this year. His receivers, on the other hand, very difficult to understand what's going on here. Just when you thought maybe DJ Chark or Chris Conley was going to take the step forward, DD Westbrook had nine targets on Thursday. That's a, a lot more than Chark's five and Conley's three. But Chark once again had a touchdown. I just really don't really know how to unsort these guys for fantasy right now. I guess Westbrook is the best choice, but Chark has also scored the most, most touchdowns this season. Really, I would rather avoid these guys except in deeper formats. I just think this workload is too split to really understand how to how to sort of break it down for you. Okay, next up, Chiefs. Uh, the Ravens at Chiefs. Mark Ingram, he outcarried Gus Edwards 16-7 to on the day. And so with Edwards, I thought after the first week that maybe he would be kind of involved in this split. And I think there's sort of a half— a glass half full view of this and a glass half empty view of this. The optimistic would be that Edwards is still averaging 10 touches per game, which in a deeper format is a healthy amount that can maybe make him a starter. But the pessimistic view is that Edwards has just 10 total carries the last two games combined. So I really don't know. I mean, I think in deeper leagues, you can probably have him owned, but this may be more of a matchup play for you, depending on whether the, the Ravens are playing a team they can blow out like the Dolphins earlier this year. Mark Andrews, just three catches and 15 yards on the day, but finished top two on the team with seven targets again. Uh, The rumors from last week suggested that the Ravens were trying to deal Hayden Hurst, another tight end of theirs, in a package to get Jalen Ramsey. I I really don't feel like Andrews has any competition for his role. And kind of the way the tight ends have shaken out across the league, I think Andrews is at worst the sixth tight end in fantasy right now. And he's kind of on a similar tier to me as Evan Ingram and Darren Waller, who I'll talk about in a bit. So, you know, if he's still available in any leagues, pick him up. But I think he's very safe. And then rookie wide receiver on the Ravens, Marquise Brown. Four catches for 49 yards on nine targets. Led the team again with that and had some spectacular catches in this game. Didn't really turn out too well for the Ravens overall, but I feel very good about both Andrews and Brown in shallow fantasy formats. For the Chiefs, uh, Darrell Williams, he surprised me a little bit. I was thinking that maybe rookie Darwin Thompson would get involved with the injury that LaShawn McCoy was playing through and the injury that Damian Williams couldn't play through. But instead it was Darrell Williams who had nine carries for 62 yards and five catches for 47 yards on five targets. He had just three targets all of last season. And I mean, granted Darrell Williams didn't play very much at all last season, but I, I didn't really see him as being sort of a threat as a receiver and as a runner, the way that he looked in this game. And so with him as the, as the preferred backup, he's, he's probably worth being rostered, maybe even in some shallow formats, I don't know what Damian Williams' status is coming off his uh, hamstring injury, but LaShawn McCoy briefly left this game again. And so with both of those guys banged up, it seems like Williams is probably going to have some opportunities. At wide receiver, with Tyreek Hill still out, both Demarcus Robinson and McCullough Hardman had good fantasy days, the former with 43 yards and a touchdown, and the latter with 97 yards and one touchdown. That was only on four and five targets, though, so I still kind of feel reluctant to to advise you to use these guys I just feel like they're going to have weeks with, you know, two catches and 20 yards coming up. But with Patrick Mahomes poised to throw 50 touchdowns again, maybe you just have to use every part of this Chiefs offense. So I'm recommending both of these guys as waiver wire pickups this week when I didn't last week, but I'm still a bit nervous about both of them. With the Panthers and Cardinals, Kyle Allen, the backup Panthers quarterback that's in for Cam Newton, and now it's clear that Newton is dealing with a Liz Frank injury and is probably going to miss several more weeks. Allen was very good. 19 for 26 for 251 yards, so not a lot of yardage, but four touchdowns against zero interceptions. And after filling in for Newton last year, I think in week 17, Allen is up to a career 68.4% completion percentage on 57 attempts with 9.2 yards per attempt, a very high number. So Allen has looked really good and a limited amount of work. Um, according to the next gen stats, he completed 9.2% more of his passes than expected this week. Only Dak Prescott has a higher advantage on this season, although clearly Allen only has the one game that's sort of carrying that total for him. I wouldn't get too carried away with this. I mean, the Cardinals, I think, are a pretty good matchup for quarterbacks. Without Patrick Peterson, who they haven't had this season, they allowed 385 yards and three touchdowns to Matthew Stafford in Week 1 and 272 passing yards and two touchdowns to Lamar Jackson, who also ran all over them in Week 2. So I think this just may be a very easy matchup. But Allen looks like a very accurate passer to me and has good arm strength, so I think he'll be fine, and he'll definitely be good enough to boy the other Carolina Panthers skill position players in fantasy, which may be really what you're after in your shallower formats. In particular, with Greg Olson, six catches for 75 yards and two touchdowns in this game on seven targets. That was tied for the lead on the team, and he's up to 28.2% of the Panthers' wide receiver and tight end targets, and that's the sixth highest rate of those targets for all tight ends in football. I think he's a little bit behind the, the Darren Wallers of the world and the Mark Andrews of the world, but he's safely in the top 10 again at the position. He just has a little bit of extra fear for me because of the, the previous injuries the last few years in his age. Curtis Samuel had seven targets in this game compared to just two for DJ Moore, although Moore salvaged his fancy day with a really cool long touchdown. But over the last couple of weeks, Samuel was his, um, has evened out that, that split in targets and is up to 24 for the season, just two behind DJ Moore at twenty six. So maybe this will be a little bit more even of a split than I expected, and if that's the case, both Samuel and DJ Moore should have value. Although I still read this as more as being closer to, you know, like a low end wide receiver two or high end flex, whereas Samuel's maybe a low end flex. But by all means, pick up Samuel because he's a very explosive player. For the Cardinals, Kyler Murray thirty for forty three and one seventy three in the air with two passing touchdowns and two picks. You know, not the greatest of days, but eight eight carries for sixty nine yards on the ground. He entered the game with just six carries and 17 yards rushing in the first two weeks, and I thought that maybe Murray wasn't going to be running the ball as much as we'd hoped for fantasy owners, but he looked explosive in this game, and this may have just been a comfort-level thing getting adjusted to the NFL. If he's going to run like that, and given that he's already leading the league in pass attempts and, and, a high, and a heavy passing volume offense, Murray can maybe be a quarterback one for you in your shallower formats throughout the year, and he's definitely going to do enough to, to boy Christian Kirk in fantasy Kirk had another nice day with 10 catches and 59 yards on 12 targets, which led the team. And he's now tied for fourth in the NFL with 32 targets on this season with as many passes as Murray is throwing in this offense. I think Kirk is going to be a pretty good fantasy value for you in shallow formats. That being said, I'm, I'm reluctant to rely on Keyshawn Johnson, the guy that maybe is kind of the third receiver, but probably isn't. He had three catches for 13 yards on four targets this week Michael Crabtree barely played in the game and was subsequently released, but I don't think that's going to open the door for Johnson as much as we'd hope. Johnson played just 48% of the snaps in this game compared to 96% for Demir Bird, the deep threat. And Bird's not going to have fantasy value because he's kind of a a long um, one-trick pony, so to speak, as a deep threat. But I think he may prevent Johnson from being more heavily involved in this offense, making him a fantasy option in deeper leagues. Next up, Bengals at, at Bills. Andy Dalton, 20 for 36 for 249, a touchdown and two picks in Buffalo. Not a great fantasy day, but 249 yards against Buffalo in Buffalo with bad weather. It's actually a pretty pretty good performance in terms of volume. And he's still averaging 326 yards passing per game on the season at a decent clip of 7.6 yards per attempt. So I think the real key to his improvements this year from a fantasy perspective are getting rid of the ball more quickly. He's got just 2.52 second average time to throw this year compared to 2.61 last year under Martin Lewis. So that may be a change that Zach Taylor has sort of implemented. And it seems to be working for Dalton and from a fantasy perspective, even though he hasn't been tremendously efficient, completing just 5.6% fewer passes than expected. That might also have something to do with the fact that his skill talent isn't really what it needs to be. But hey, A.J. Green's coming back in a few weeks And if John Ross is going to be good, then I think this is going to be a productive fantasy year for Dalton, maybe his best in four or five years. Auden Tate was the number one receiver for for the game for the Bengals with six catches and 88 yards on 10 targets. John Ross saw just six targets after his big first two weeks, but I think he just simply got shut down by cornerback Tredavious White. He was shadowing him in coverage. So I wouldn't expect Tate's good game or Ross's bad games to continue, although I'm still a bit fearful for what's going to happen to Ross when A.J. Green comes back, but you're not dropping him in, in any case. For the Bills, Frank Gore had a nice fantasy day, 14 carries or 76 yards and a touchdown. That's because Devin Singletary missed the game with a hamstring injury, and it's possible that he'll miss more. But without Singletary there, I think Gore is a pretty safe low upside running back too. T.J. Yeldon had just 30 percent, 37% of the offensive snaps, which led to a high number of 10 touches, but one that probably won't continue in future weeks. So Gore, I think, is pretty safe there. But I continue to want to own Singletary. I think that sooner or later, he's going to end up dominating this backfield in touches. Okay, Dawson uh, Dawson Knox, the rookie tight end for the Bills. He had one of the most ridiculous catches and runs I've seen. It was actually very reminiscent of Vance McDonald's stiff arm catch from last year, which you may remember. I think it was either on Sunday or Monday Night Football. And probably nobody saw this. I mean, I don't know who was watching the Bills and Bengals game, but Knox just absolutely flattened a pair of cornerbacks. You can check out the video uh, in either of my Monday or Tuesday articles up on FootballOutsiders.com. But it was just four targets, and Knox just had four targets last week. But he really showed me something on that catch. And I'm starting to wonder whether he may end up having some fantasy value for the Bills because the other three tight ends on the roster, Tyler Croft, Lee Smith, and Tommy Sweeney, are all blocking first tight ends. Knox is up to 56% of the offensive snaps played in week two or in week three. So I think he's coming on and he may be a low end tight end two for you in future weeks. If you're having some trouble at the position, he may be a good guy to pick up. Uh, Meanwhile, Cole Beasley, eight catches on 10 targets this week. Um, I've kind of been reading John Brown as the clear number one uh, option for the Bills and for Josh Allen, but Beasley has actually bridged that gap too. And both of them now have 23 targets for the season no other Bill has 10, so these are the two wide receivers to own right now for the Bills. But Beasley, I think, probably can be owned, especially in your deeper formats, and he's barely owned anywhere, so you can grab him if you need some help in your leagues. He won't be as good as Brown, but in a PPR league, he could be an option for you. Dolphins at Cowboys. Uh, Josh Rosen got this start. Um, not the best fantasy day, 18 of 39 for 200 yards. Um, but, you know, did enough to, I think, buoy some of his skill position players, maybe in fantasy, and specifically Preston Williams, the the undrafted rookie receiver. Another nice day, four catches for 68 yards, and led the team with 12 targets. I don't think he's fully to blame for, for the lack of um, completion rate on the throws to him. But, you know, he's a big receiver, is a guy that could be a red zone threat, nearly scored a touchdown in this game took three steps with the ball, but then lost it at the back of the end zone and they ruled it incomplete. I think this is a guy that actually may be startable for you even in shallower formats later this season. Um, he played 96% of the snaps in this game along with with Devontae Parker. And he actually has a higher um, percentage of the team's wide receiver and tight end targets than, than even Parker. And has the third most targets among rookie receivers in the league with 23 behind just Marquise Brown and Terry McLaurin. So again, this is a guy that I think you can maybe use and even in deep leagues, he's widely unknown. So grab him there. I think you're going to be pleasantly surprised getting a little fantasy value from the Dolphins. That said, I think tight end Mike Gesicki, you can go ahead and drop him in all of your formats. Just three catches for nine yards on three targets this week. He has just 20 yards receiving the last two games, just really isn't involved right now. And then for the Cowboys, we had um, rookie running back Tony Pollard. Um, he had a very nice day in fantasy, but only five of his 13 carries came with a game still within two scores whereas 15 of Ezekiel Elliott's 19 did. So I think this is a situation where Pollard got on the field in garbage time. And the Cowboys may have some future blowouts, but Pollard probably isn't more than a handcuff right now. He's looked great when he's carried the ball. He's got 27 DYAR and 14.5% DVOA, but Ezekiel Elliott has 94 DYAR and 42.4% DVOA. Elliott's tremendous. And so I think Pollard's just a backup, a handcuff for Elliott, but one of the more valuable handcuffs in, in the league. At wide receiver, I thought that maybe Randall Cobb would have a nice day with Michael Gallup out of the picture for a few weeks with a knee injury, but instead, Cobb split work with Devin Smith, the backup outside receiver. Cobb had just four targets, and Smith had just five, and so I think that probably sabotages each other's value. Although that said, Prescott threw just 32 passes against the Dolphins. I mean, with that with a the blowout, they really didn't need to do much other than running the ball. So maybe these guys can do a little bit better for you in future weeks, but... I'm not too excited if, if Smith and Cobb are going to be splitting their targets. I think Cooper is going to be the guy that you want to use in fantasy for that team. For the Broncos at Packers, uh, Philip Lindsay outcarried Royce Freeman 21 to 15 and scored two touchdowns. He actually has had all five of the team's running back carries within five yards of the end zone. So Lindsay, I think there's no doubt, is the running back that you want to own for the Broncos first. But that said, Freeman was still involved in the passing game. He had five targets again this week, the same number as Lindsay. He had seven the week before, also the same as Lindsay. And so if you can just ignore the fact that Lindsay is putting up pretty big numbers, Freeman is averaging 12 carries and four targets per game through three games. That's a pretty healthy volume, even for shallow league consideration as a flex option. Freeman also has 25 DYIR on the ground. And so given his involvement kind of in all facets except at the goal line, where I kind of would have expected him to do his most work, I think Freeman really will be a shallow league flex option for you. Grab him in your leagues if you need some help at the position. And then the Broncos' number two receiver, Cortland Sutton, continued to be heavily involved with five catches, 87 yards on eight targets. Um, He's the number two receiver for this team, but he is top 30 in the NFL with 23 targets through three games. And his 29.9% wide receiver and tight end target share is actually top 20 in the NFL among all receivers. So I think another stealthy guy that you can use there in your shallower formats. For the Packers, Aaron Rodgers, he's averaging just 216 passing yards per game this season. Not very good so far, but I think that's a lot of it is schedule related. They face three very difficult defenses so far, and so I'm optimistic things can improve for him there and improve for his skill position options. The big news probably for the Packers is that Jamal Williams outcarried Aaron Jones 12 carries to 10. I kind of missed this last week, but apparently head coach Matt LaFleur had said that he wanted to even out the touches between those two guys in a press conference last week. And that's what happened in this game. And that's really bad news for Jones, who I thought was a pretty safe running back, too. I just think Jones is a lot better player than Williams. He was much more efficient last year. And Jones has 24 DYAR this year compared to just negative 14 for Williams. But hey, if Williams is going to get half the workload, then Williams is going to be a playable back in deeper formats. So pick him up in your deeper leagues. Just, you know, I'm not sure that's going to continue to work for you the rest of the season. But for the time being, if that's what LaFleur wants, he can do it. Meanwhile, Marquez Valdez-Scantling continues to obviously be the number two wide receiver for the Packers. Six catches for 99 yards and a touchdown on 10 targets, which led the team this week. He played 88% of the offensive snaps compared to just 46% for Geronimo Allison. His 31% wide receiver and tight end target share is actually the most on the team, a little bit ahead of Devontae Adams at 29.6%. No other Packer wide receiver or tight end is even at 12%. So Valdis scantling is a very safe guy for the Packers. And I think it's probably going to be a low-end wide receiver two, high-end flex option for you in shallow formats. Pivoting to the Falcons and Colts, Matt Ryan threw a couple of uh, strange passes again in this week. Uh, kind of had me a little bit nervous about him, but rallied in the second half and ended up with a very um, impressive 29 of 34 passing yard day for 304 yards and three touchdowns. Um, so he can maybe continue to buoy Julio Jones and the other uh, passing options for the team. But the Falcons' running game is taking a little bit of a blow here with Ida Smith suffering a concussion. No third running back took a carry in this game, and Brian Hill has been act inactive every week. So I don't really know who to recommend for you to pick up behind Devontae Freeman. I mean, maybe Quadrioluson, but I have a feeling that we're going to find out too late for you to do anything. And then at that point, Smith will hopefully be back next week. So I think right now you're just going to rely on Devontae Freeman um, in week four. And Freeman looked a little bit better, averaging 5.5 yards per carry in this one. So maybe he is kind of getting back on track after a slow start to the season. Jacoby Brissett had a very nice day, completing 26 of 37 passes for 310 yards and two touchdowns. I wouldn't get overexcited about Brissett's day, though. It was a great matchup with Atlanta. Um, They increased passing touchdowns per attempt by 46%. And so heading into the week... The matchup improved Brissett from my number 16 true talent quarterback in fantasy to number seven for the week, which is kind of the ballpark of where he finished. So I would say that was a good matchup for Brissett. He'll have other days with good matchups too that you can use him, but don't spend a lot of fab money to grab him because I think he's going to be kind of a mid-tier quarterback two or worse probably for you in fantasy this year. The Colts did avoid, I think, a scare when T.O.I. Hilton left this game after re-injuring his quad. I don't think he's expected to miss an extended time at this point, but keep an eye on the news later in this week to see if he ends up playing in week four. If he doesn't, I think it's going to be very difficult to know what to do with this offense because it's, again, a very strange workload split behind Hilton. Deion Cain, 56% of the offensive snaps. Paris Campbell, 45%. Zach Pascal, 44%. And Chester Rogers, 42%. So I would say good luck to you there to figure out who to start. Um, I would lean toward Paris Campbell if Hilton missed and I had to pick one guy because I think he's the most talented, but he's also the most inexperienced. So your uh, guess may be as good as mine there. For the Raiders at Vikings, Darren Waller, huge day. 13 catches, 134 yards on 14 targets. He's up to 34.1% wide receiver and tight end target share for the Raiders, and that's the highest of all tight ends across the NFL. I think he's definitely a top five option for you. I would say that after the big three tight ends of uh, Kelsey, Ertz, and Kittle in some order, I think you're debating between Ingram and, and Waller there at four and five, maybe just ahead of Mark Andrews. But those three guys are probably a tier. And that means that if Waller's still available in your leagues, go ahead and do whatever you can to grab him for your league. I think it can be a difference maker for you, the position. Meanwhile, wide receiver Tyrell Williams saw just three targets on the day. He did score to salvage his fantasy day, but after week one, when it looked like he was going to be really heavily involved for this team, he's kind of backed off that total and now looks more like a flex option than a wide receiver too. For the Vikings, Alexander Madison, the rookie running back, had 12 carries, 58 yards and, and touchdown, but only seven of his 12 carries came with the game within two scores, while 15 of Dalvin Cook's 16 did. This is very similar to what Tony Pollard did for the Cowboys in their blowout win, Madison had a nice day kind of in garbage time here in the Vikings' blowout win over the Raiders. And Madison has looked good on the year 23 DYAR, 16.1% DVOA, but Cook has looked better, 116 DYAR and 42.4% DVOA. So again, another nice handcuff option here with Madison, but not a guy that you're going to want to start most weeks in fantasy. Rookie tight end Irv Smith uh, out-targeted Kyle Rudolph 3-1, to one, and three targets isn't really a lot, and Smith just played 49% of the snaps compared to 87% for Rudolph, but it was good to see Smith get involved. I, honestly, for the fantasy takeaway for me for now is that Rudolph is probably droppable, but Smith has upside as a receiver. He, along with uh, TJ Hawkinson and, and Noah Fant, I think were the three tight ends that were really compelling in this year's draft, and sometimes it can take a while for tight ends to get involved, but... Smith seems to be getting worked in pretty early this year with the Vikings, so he could become a fantasy option in deeper formats later in the season. With the Jets at Patriots, um, slot receiver Braxton Berrios ended up leading the team with six targets in this game. I think he was probably getting some extra work with Demarius Thomas out. And, that I mean, that sabotaged Jameson Crowder's values, certainly. Crowder had just five targets, and after that huge Week 1 performance doesn't really seem that heavily involved anymore. But Berrios, I don't think you're going to really pick him up in fantasy. Thomas will probably be back within a few weeks. And maybe even more importantly, tight end Chris Hernan will be back in a couple of weeks after he finishes his four-game suspension. And so I think that those guys are probably going to be back in time for Darnold to return. And really, you're not going to be starting any of your Jets receivers until that happens anyway. Um, for the Patriots, uh, Damian Harri- Harris was active in this game because um, James White ended up missing it because his wife was giving birth. But Harris didn't actually log an offensive snap, and so it doesn't really seem like he's a fantasy option for you right now. But I still want to bring him up because Sonny Michelle has been pretty bad this year, averaging just 2.4 yards per carry and 45 attempts on the season. He had what looked like a good number with 4.5 yards per carry last season, but that was actually pretty deceptive. He had a very easy slate of carries for the season, which were made easy because of that high-flying passing offense of New England's, obviously. And so Michelle had negative 2.7% DVOA on the season, which I think is kind of a true talent indicator, down to negative 23.6% so far this season. I think he may have a few games to turn it around, but if he doesn't, look for Harris to maybe take over as the number one rushing, uh, rusher for this team. and would obviously have fantasy value in that offense. Among the receivers, Philip Dorsett, I think the most obvious um, fantasy improver with Antonio Brown now released He's had a very productive season with 187 yards and three touchdowns. But um, even though two of his games he's played without Brown on the roster, just 14 targets on the season, that 18.4% wide receiver and tight end target rate is 58th among wide receivers on the season behind guys like Randall Cobb, A.J. Brown, and Jakeem Grant that you would definitely not think about playing in fantasy right now. So I don't know. I mean, I feel kind of about Dorsett the way I feel about uh, McCole Hardman and um, Demarcus Robinson for the Chiefs where it's like, they're really not getting very much work, and I'm, I'm reluctant to start them. But, you know, maybe the passing offenses are so good and there's going to be so many touchdowns to go around that it can work. But for now, I'm going to say avoid Dorsett and focus more on the other options for the team. Of course, that could change if Julian Edelman ends up missing time with his chest injury that he suffered last week and had to leave the game. I think Jacoby Myers would be the most direct beneficiary if that happened. He was back active this week with, again, with Brown cut, and he had three targets. And he seems like the logical slot candidate with Edelman out. It's kind of weird to say, but I almost feel like Myers is a handcuff for Edelman, where if Edelman missed time, suddenly Myers would kind of vault into the wide receiver two discussion, which is kind of weird to say. But he just seems very effective in that role and seems like a natural plug and play in an offense that really needs to rely on that guy. So Myers in your deeper formats, maybe even in your shallow formats, you can maybe pick him up and use him if Edelman misses time. Also, keep in mind that Ben Watson, the tight end, is set to return from a suspension in week five. Um, I think it might be a good time to go ahead and pick him up if you need help at tight end. Even though he's, I think, 38 years old at this point, he had 73 DYAR in 2018, so he still clearly has it. And he's going to be the best tight end receiving option for the Patriots as soon as he's active. Moving on to the Lions at Eagles game, Marvin Jones paced the, the Lions with six catches, 101 yards, and a touchdown on nine targets, which led the team. And that nearly doubled his seasonal total up to 19, but Jones is just high with Danny Amendola for second on the team at 19, well behind Kenny Galladay of 27 targets. That 20.9% wide receiver and tight end target share for Jones just really isn't enough to make him a, a very attractive shallow league option, even with his sort of deep target nature. For the Eagles, Miles Sanders continues to, to be the lead back on the team. He had 13 carries and four targets this week compared to just 11 and one for Jordan Howard, although Howard was the one that scored the touchdown. But I'm, I'm getting a little bit nervous here with Sanders, negative 65 rushing DYAR in the season near the bottom of the league, while Howard has a positive number of 21 there. So with him splitting carries near the goal line already with Howard, he's a little bit more involved in the passing game, but I'm nervous that he isn't very effective as a, as a runner. And, you know, rookies, I think it's fair to give him a little bit of a leash, but I think you're considering starting Sanders, or at least benching him, or having him on your your benches for the time being, but I wouldn't be stu- stunned if Howard ended up becoming the lead back for this team in the second half of the season. Meanwhile, the Eagles are, have suffered all kinds of, of injuries in their passing game, and Mac Collins ended up being the major beneficiary there um, behind Nelson Aguilar with seven targets compared to just three for J.J. Arcego whiteside Hollins played 99% of the snaps, but notice too that Arcega Whiteside played 72% of the snaps, with Dallas Goddard, the backup tight end, being active but only playing 12%. I think he was basically playing through an injury right there because he played 55% of the offensive snaps in week one. So it's going to really depend on how the injuries shake out for how you're going to handle the situation going forward. Alshon Jeffrey may come back um, this week, but the Eagles also play on Thursday, so he may not have time to get fully healthy And if he misses, I think Hollins is going to be your guy there. And keep an eye on Goddard's health, because I feel like if Goddard ends up a little bit healthier this Thursday, that may cut into Arcega-Whiteside's role with the team as the team maybe moves back to more of a 2 tight end set more frequently than they did in Week 3. All right, Giants and Buccaneers, Danny Dimestein, Daniel Jones, great day, 23 for 36 for 336 passing yards and two touchdowns. And importantly for fantasy perspective, four carries for 28 yards and two touchdowns on the ground. That second rushing touchdown, I mean, it was just kind of wide up in front of him. Any quarterback could have run it in. But he did show some impressive speed on the day according to next-gen stats and also completed 3.4% more of his passes than expected according to next-gen stats. So I think it's entirely fair to be optimistic for Jones. and In particular, even if he doesn't become a huge fantasy option for you the rest of the season, I think he's going to be better enough to improve the rest of the options for the Giants um, from fantasy both for receivers and for running backs which could be very important unfortunately because Saquon Barkley is expected to miss 48 weeks with a high ankle sprain and so that is going to kind of leave it up to Wayne Gallman and Elijah Penny I think Gallman is the guy that you want there he has 51 career catches against 168 career carries which is a good ratio for for fantasy but I would note that Elijah Penny is 6 foot 2 and 234 pounds much bigger than Gallman at 6 foot even and 210 pounds so maybe Penny will get some of that early down work and maybe some goal line work, which could make, maybe make him a deeper league fantasy option. I would keep an eye on the news, though, because I feel like maybe the Giants are going to be interested in grabbing a guy, the free agent. Um, you know, I'm not exactly sure who all is out there that's that appealing. C.J. Anderson, I guess, is available. Maybe Jay Ajayi if he's if he's healthier at this point. Those guys may end up getting a call here, um, given the Giants' lack of depth behind Barkley. Among the Giants receivers, Sterling Shepard, after missing week two with a concussion, was back and asserted himself as the number one wide receiver. Seven catches, 100 yards, and a touchdown on nine targets, which led the team. Tied in it, Evan Ingram had eight targets, and no other receiver had more than five. That said, I think there are some potential other fantasy options for you on the team if Jones ends up being a good player. Darius Slayton, the rookie, had five targets in his debut with the team this week, and he's really the only deep threat on the roster. He had 20.3 yards per reception at Auburn. And he flashed that potential with a really long catch that almost ended up being a touchdown this week, a great long throw from uh, from Daniel Jones. So he may be an option and may get a little bit more work than you expect if a lot of the shallow guys are kind of eating into each other's workloads. And one reason that could happen is because Golden Tate is also set to return from his suspension in week five. Another guy like Ben Watson where you may want to go ahead and preemptively pick him up a week early if you need help at receiver. For the Buccaneers, Ronald Jones outcarried Peyton Barber 14 to 13 on the day, and he's kind of yo-yoed his workload back and forth. Kind of what Arian said that he was going to work with the hot, hot hands there for for the Bucks. But after three games, I think it's pretty apparent apparent that Jones is the hot hand. 5.3 yards per carry on the season, 35 rushing DYAR compared to just 3, uh, 3.7 for Barber and one DYAR. So I think that Jones sooner or later is going to end up taking the lion's share of the workload in this backfield. So I would go ahead and pick him up. Although I would rather have Devin Singletary if we're just kind of looking at those sophomore backs and comparing them there. Texans at Chargers, tight end Jordan Akins, three catches for 73 yards and two touchdowns on five targets. I don't think that that hefty fantasy total is is kind of predictive of what's going to come, though, because your other tight end, Darren Fells, also had five catches, 49 yards, and one touchdown on six targets. And both players are kind of sabotaging each other. They both have 12.2% wide receiver tied in target share for the season, which is tied for 25th at the position pretty far back there. I think they're probably going to eat into each other's workloads and prevent either from becoming a fantasy option. Uh, For the Chargers, a lot of those guys, I think you pretty much know what what they're going to give you now in fantasy. Um, But I will say that Mike Williams, up to seven targets this week, he's getting healthier with his knee injury. So I think it's only a matter of time before he becomes a good fantasy option for you in shallow leagues. Steelers at 49ers, uh, Mason Rudolph moderate moderate day in his debut 14 to 27 for 174, two touchdowns and one pick. A lot of that yardage came on one 75-yard pass to Juju uh, Smith-Schuster, which was nice to see, but keep in mind that the 49ers defense has been a surprising top 5 DVOA defense in the short season. So just it may have been a situation where on the road against a top defense, that was just a very tough spot for Rudolph. We'll have to see if he does better back in Pittsburgh. I know that for one Ben Rodgersberger should very big in home and road splits in his career there, so maybe he'll do better back there. I think the good news for fantasy for the Steelers is that they ended up benching Dante Moncrief, a healthy and active, and didn't let Ryan Switzer play an offensive snap, which really tightened up the the target splits among the the remaining wide receivers. James Washington ended up playing 92% of the offensive snaps and rookie Deontay Johnson 79%, and I think even without Roethlisberger, those guys can become fantasy relevant if they're going to be playing almost every play that way. So that there could now be three relevant fantasy wide receivers on a team that looked like it had distributed its workload too much before to make that happen. And then unfortunately for the Steelers, Vance McDonald injured his shoulder this week, had to leave the game. The severity of that is unknown at this time, but it's possible that he'll miss several weeks. I don't really see any other tight ends on the roster that could maybe benefit from this. So maybe Switzer gets more involved. Um, But I think that you're probably just going to want to rely on the wide receivers and James Conner for the time being for your Steelers for fantasy purposes. For the 49ers, Jeff Wilson really surprised me here with two more touchdowns. He had that work in garbage time in week two, but he was more involved this week throughout the game, and he's actually up to uh, five carries within five yards of the end zone for the season, just one for all the other 49ers running backs. So here's a guy that's probably getting that short yardage work for the team. And so that kind of makes him a Malcolm Brown kind of fantasy prospect for you, which in your deeper formats, that could be relevant, especially in, uh, in your standard non PPR formats. Debo Samuel, I think, is clearly the number one wide receiver to, to own in fantasy for the 49ers, but that's actually not saying that much. It's just there's so much of a workload split here between all the guys that's probably just going to get more complicated when Jalen uh, Hurd returns healthy. So I think you're probably avoiding all of the 49ers receivers and just relying on Kittle in the passing game there. Saints at Seahawks, Teddy Bridgewater, 19 of 27 for 177 and two touchdowns. Not a huge day, but a tough day on the road in Seattle with a little bit of rain involved. The good news for Bridgewater is that Taysom Hill didn't throw a pass, so Bridgewater looks like a safe option for you in that sense. Uh, For the Seahawks, Rashad Penny missed this game after suffering a hamstring injury in Friday's practice. I think that's probably the biggest reason why CJ Proseis had five targets. He had just three combined in Weeks 1 and 2, so I wouldn't race to go pick up precise Penny, I think, is the handcuff that you're going to want to have there for Chris Carson. Uh, Will Disley, though, another nice day. Six catches for 62 yards and a touchdown on seven targets. He now has five touchdowns in six career-healthy games, so that's obviously really good, and that's going to buoy his fantasy value. But also from a consistency standpoint, he's up to 17.5% of the Seahawks wide receiver and tight end target share. That's 12th best among all tight ends in football. I think Disley's actually a top 10 tight end now, which – I didn't really see that coming necessarily at the start of the season, but he's been a featured part of the Seahawks passing game. Okay, moving along to the Sunday night game, Rams at Browns. Todd Gurley outcarried Malcolm Brown fourteen to three. So even though Brown, uh, even though Gurley didn't have much of a fantasy day to speak of, it seems like he's clearly back as the lead back there um, for the Rams. And then Nick Chubb. I mean, I know he's kind of an RB one in everyone's consideration. I just wanted to point out seven targets on the day. None of the other running backs had one, so he's obviously a running back one. It's going to be probably very valuable until Kareem Hunt returns in Week 9, and at which case I don't really know what's going to happen at that point. Uh, Damian Ratley had five targets in relief of an injured of Rashard Higgins there. I'm not sure you want either of those guys. Keep in mind that Antonio Callaway is set to return from his suspension in Week 5, so maybe in your deeper formats Callaway will have some fantasy value, but I think it's probably mostly going to be Odell Beckham with a little bit of Jarvis Landry there for that team. And then finally your Monday night game Bears at Redskins, Mitchell Trubisky 25 of 31 for 231, three touchdowns, one interception, impressive 7.5 yards per attempt. Yeah, I guess it really helps to get a much easier defense to play. I mean, uh, I think it's kind of been overstated how how bad he's looked on offense so far this season anyway. He's completing 2.3% fewer passes than expected according to the Next Gen stats. That's better than Baker Mayfield at 3.2% deficit, better than Jared Goff at 4.8%. Better than Carson Wentz at 4.4%, although I think Nelson Aguilar dropped probably all those. So um, I think Trubisky is actually fine for you in fantasy, in particular because of the running that he provides, even though he won't be a great passer necessarily. Uh, David Montgomery continues to dominate the the Bears' backfield in touches, Um, So and there's not really much to say there in fantasy. He's owned everywhere. Four more carries for Corderell Patterson, though. That was cool to see. I think he's actually really, really good, although I don't think he's going to have much of a workload for fantasy purposes. Uh, Taylor Gabriel actually caught all three of Trubisky's touchdown passes and had six total catches for 75 yards on the day. The seven targets he had were tied for the most on the team with Allen Robinson, but for the season, he's barely above half of the target share. 20.3% wide receiver tied in target share for Gabriel versus 39.1% for Robinson. Robinson, obviously the guy you want there. And Gabriel at just 5'7 and 168 pounds, he has just 13 career touchdowns, even counting the three from this game on 208 career receptions. I just don't really think he's going to be a fantasy option for you. For the Redskins, Terry McLaurin, another nice day. Six catches for 70 yards and a touchdown on eight targets. It was a little bit less work than Paul Richardson in this game, although he's out-targeted Richardson 24-19 to on the season. And his 27.0 wide receiver and tight end target share easily leads the team, and he's the second most targeted rookie wide receiver on the season behind only Marquise Brown. I think he's usable for you in your shallow formats. And if you want to go a little bit deeper, I think Trey Quinn, the slot receiver for the Redskins, could be an option for you. Uh, He's been heavily involved out of the slot so far this season, and that could continue if Jordan Reed ends up being unable to return to play. Quinn's at 22.5% wide receiver and tight end target share for the season, and that's 45th most among wide receivers. That's probably ballpark what his value is in PPR formats. And then finally for the Redskins, Chris Thompson, uh, I think the matchup probably dictated the fact that he outproduced Adrian Peterson in this game. But for your PPR format players out there, 23 targets for Thompson so far this season, tied for the most among all running backs with Le'Veon Bell, isn't going to have the workload of, of you know running backs like Bell that, with some size. But Thompson had a top 30 PPR season in 2016, and he seems like he is on track to do that again this season. Okay, that's going to do it for this week's episode or this Tuesday's episode of the Football Outsiders Fantasy Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Catch me again in a couple days, and I'll hit all of your start and sit choices for Week Five, just or uh, for Week Four, just running all through this fantasy season. Thanks so much. Talk to you soon.